Welcome to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study and our series on David and the Psalm. You can find us at SeekingTruth.net. Please join us now for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Okay, welcome everybody to Seeking Truth in our study this year of David and the Psalms. And it promises to be a wonderful study. I just noticed, here's the son of David right here. Son of David. David was a king, maybe the greatest king in Israel, but Jesus Christ from the son of David, from the house of David, from the tribe of Judah, is king of kings and lord of lords, and we'll be studying his entire life this year. We're gonna start with the book of Ruth. Why are we starting with Ruth? We're gonna go from barley to wheat, and you'll see hopefully over the course of this lecture, but Ruth is the great grandma of, G of David. Okay, so we start with her life. Her book is in the five megalot, in the Jewish megalot, the five scrolls. Um, those are the Song of Songs, the Book of Ruth, the Book of Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and the Book of Esther. And the Hebrew people would use each of those scrolls for a different feast day. For instance, the Book of Esther was always read at Purim, the Feast of Lots. The Ecclesiastes, that scroll was always read on Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Uh, they read the Book of Lamentations when always on the ninth of Av. Why the ninth of Av? Both temples were destroyed on the ninth of Av. The first temple and the second temple on that same exact day, hundreds of years apart, but on the ninth of Av. So that's a day of lamentation for the Hebrew people. Song of Songs. I know some of you love Song of Songs. Song of Songs is always read at the end of the Passover Seder meal and at the time, the Sabbath of Passover. So that all these have meaning. Shavuot, Shavuot is when they read the book, the scroll of Ruth. Shavuot uh, is read on the morning, Ruth is read on the morning of Shavuot, and also that day, the whole Torah is actually read throughout the night, but chapters 19 and 20, the giving of the Torah is very important on Shavuot. Now, what is Shavuot for Catholics today? What feast is that? Man, it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> That's the Feast of Pentecost. Hebrew Shavuot is our Pentecost. It was their Pentecost first, <laughs> okay? 50 days in the Greek, Pentecost, 50 days. Shavuot always followed Passover by 50 days. 50 days after Passover would be Shavuot. Jesus, we know, ascended back to the right hand of the Father on day 40. So there were 10 days before Shavuot, right? He told them, Shavuot always follows Passover by 50 days. And he told them in Acts 1, Jesus charged them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but before many days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They cast lots because Judas was gone, he had hung himself, and so they needed to have the 12th office filled. They chose Matthias by lot. Then they went to the upper room. They were one accord. They devoted themselves to prayer together with the women. 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brethren. We know there were 120 in the upper room nine days after they prayed for nine. He told them to stay and wait. He goes up on day 40. They're praying for nine days. What is that? A novena. It's the very first novena in the Catholic Church. And then on day 10, that was day 50. And the Holy Spirit descended. On the Hebrew feast day of Shavuot, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Jerusalem and upon all the nations and in that upper room. So Shavuot always followed Passover by 50 days. Now, Shavuot is also an agricultural feast. The very first of the seven species in the Holy Land to harvest is the barley. Barley Barley is okay. Barley is a grain. They use it for porridge and stuff and for bread, but barley is a poor man's grain. The creme de la creme is wheat, and the wheat harvest is 50 days after the barley harvest. All this stuff is going to be symbolic in Ruth. You won't believe it. So we're going to go from barley to wheat. From barley, inferior grain, the poor man's grain, to wheat the gift of finest wheat, who all the world cannot contain, comes in our heart to dwell. Okay? Uh, so there's the barley. There's the wheat. Now, in the Hebrew lectionary, they would have been reading Exodus 19 for Shavuot, 19 and 20. The law, the giving of the law, the Torah. And now... <laughs> They always read the book of Ruth, the scroll of Ruth. Now, this context is going to be very important. I just want you to keep this all in the back of your mind. The, circumstance, the context is important. What's context? The circumstances that form the setting for an event, statement, or idea, and in terms of which it can be fully understood and assessed. So we have to keep things in context in Catholic Bible study. Why the scroll of Ruth is read on Shavuot. Shavuot is our Pentecost now. Right below their feet. They were up in that upper room. If you go to Jerusalem, they were in the upper room. Guess what is right directly under the upper room? The tomb of David. The tomb of King David is on the first floor, and then you go up to the second floor for the upper room. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Ruth the Moabite is the great-grandma of King David. And King David's tomb is right below the upper room. Ruth's grandson is the most revered, great-grandson, is the most revered king of Israel the great King David, from whom which the Messiah must come, from the house of David, from the tribe of Judah. And the story of Ruth is the story of David's great-grandma, Ruth the Moabite. Now, you should remember about the Moabites from Genesis 19. I know you all do. Some are shaking their heads. Um, the shameful origin of the Moabites and the Ammonites was in Genesis chapter 19. And it's a story about Lot and his family exiting, escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Lot's family was told to keep going and not look back, keep going and not look back. In fact, uh, 
God had sent angels to warn the family. But Mrs. Lot, what did she do? She looked back. Some commentaries say she might have had other children, still re- married children, still residing there. But when she looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. And there she is, a beautiful salt pillar. Uh, there are rock formations that look like that to this day. But can you imagine the two young daughters not looking back, leaving behind their own mother? Lot had, had angels had come and appeared uh, come to warn Lot and his family that they needed to go. And um, yeah, some of the men wanted to rape the angels. Some of the men of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to rape the angels because they were overcome with their beauty. And remember, Lot offered his own virgin daughters instead of raping the men. And Lot rescued those angels and got him into his house, and in turn, they protected his daughters by striking the violent men with blindness as they tried to enter Lot's home. So having been offered to the violent men, losing their mother, the girls were very wounded, and he settles in a cave, remember, in Zoar, and the one girl says to the other girl, There's, we're never going to have children. We're never going to have children. And so they cook up a plan that they will take turns. The firstborn said to the younger, our father's old. There's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the world. And come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him so that we can preserve offspring through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she rose. On the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, look, look, I lay last night with my father. Let's make him drink wine again, and you can do it this night. You go in with him this night and preserve offspring through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger rose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. Thus the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. Now, it says in Genesis 19, the firstborn son was named Moab. And he is the ancestor of the Moabites to this day. And Ruth is a Moabite. The younger also bore a son. They named him Ben-Ami. And he's the ancestor of the Ammonites to this day. So as we saw after the fall in Genesis, we just kept seeing the progression of sin, if you recall. God had created all things in this beautiful, perfect order. And after the fall, disorder kept progressing. So it was clear that fallen humanity needed a savior, a redeemer. In Genesis 19, we were introduced there to paternal incest, resulting in the Moabites and the Ammonites. They they will always be a thorn in Israel's side. There's where the Ammonites settled, the Moabites, the Edomites, they'll come later. But the Moabites settle near the Dead Sea there in that craggy, rugged uh, Arabian desert. And they take on different gods, not Abraham's God, but instead they worship a a pantheon of false gods, Canaanite gods, Baals, and Chimoth, and they would offer child sacrifice. Ruth is a Moabite. And it says in Deuteronomy 23 that those born of an illicit union, which paternal incest is an illicit union, shall not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, Even to the 10th generation, none of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite, no Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. 
because another thing the Ammonites did, they did not meet you with food and water on your journey out of Egypt. So that's another thorn in their side. When Moses is getting all the escapees out of Pharaoh's Egypt, the slaves, they won't allow them to pass through Moab. They won't give them food or water. And that really angered the Lord and it angered the nation of Israel. And so they also hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Do you guys remember Balaam in our Exodus study? In the book of Numbers 22, Balaam and the donkey and the curse. Uh, you shall never promote their welfare or their prosperity as long as you live, says the Lord of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Ruth's a Moabite. That's not real popular with the Israelites. They did not take kindly to Moabites. But Ruth has an experience, it's called a metanoia. She is going to have a journey where her heart, her mind, her life is changed. And it's gonna come through people, it's gonna come through a woman, it's gonna come through her mother-in-law. It happens often through people. <laughs> I want you to remember that. It happened through another woman, a woman that she lived with for a decade and she couldn't leave her. It happened through a relationship, a wise, older woman who knew the cross very well, even though there was no cross of Christ yet. She had many, many crosses in her life. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, experienced many crosses in her life. And Ruth noticed how Naomi handled each cross. Do you know people are watching you and how you get through your crosses? Have you noticed that? If there's someone in a dire way, something horrible has happened in their life, everyone's watching. The world is watching. How will she handle this? How's he gonna get through this one? And people of faith are often a great witness by the way they handle their crosses. Ruth was attracted to Naomi and Naomi's faith and Naomi's God of Israel. And Naomi, the, the, the names are very important to the Hebrews. Naomi means pleasantness and Ruth means friend or companion. And they became fast friends and lifelong companions because Ruth saw in Naomi's God something more than Chemosh, something more than Baal, something more than the gods of Moab. And Ruth was the first convert of the heart to Judaism. And why do I say of the heart? Ruth can't be circumcised. First of all, she's a Moabite. They don't want her. Second of all, women had to come into the covenant through a man because the seal of the covenant was circumcision. St. Paul told the Galatians, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female anymore. You're all one in Jesus Christ. Circumcision was replaced by baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with water. No circumcision needed. But back then, Ruth couldn't come in unless she, she had what we call a conversion of the heart. And Paul taught us about that in Romans last year, Romans 2, when he said, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter of the law. 
So Ruth was the first convert to Judaism of the heart, a Moabite woman. Ruth came to the faith through relationship with Naomi and observing, witnessing how she handled her crosses and how she prayed to her God. So oftentimes people come to faith through relationships. You see that in RCIA. Some of you are active in RCIA. People will come because of a relationship. They're getting married or they're, something they saw in someone has drawn them to check out the Catholic Church. So relationship is always important. Community is always important in the faith. That's why we like to be here in a group studying God's word together instead of sitting at home alone. We'll, we'll be willing to wear a mask just so we can be together as a body of Christ. So Ruth and Naomi are often referred to as Proverbs 31 women. And I see a lot of Proverbs 31 women right in front of me right now. If you don't know what it is, read Proverbs 31 tonight. But she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. God had chosen Israel, but Israel had to continually choose God. Same with us. Every day you wake up and you choose God. You choose to stay married if you're married. You choose to love that day. You choose to love your kids. You choose to love that person who drives you crazy in your life. Israel had to continually choose God because like any marriage, it was a daily decision of the will to love only one God when all the nations around them were loving a plethora of little g-gods. There's always been a lot of different gods. The big three are sex, money, and power. I see them all through the Bible and just in all different ways. Those are the big three. But God's bride would often wander off in the scriptures. Sometimes she'd seek other husbands, idols, other Baals, other gods, other husbands. And then God would send prophets to call the bride back home, to call the bride back home, right? And uh, it took some convincing by human people sometimes to help people get back on the straight and narrow. And so God uses people. He used Abraham, he used Isaac, he used Jacob. And I love this icon because he used their families also. They each have a family in front of them. And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and look at that little plate Jacob's holding because all along before the beginning of time, God knew his second person, Jesus Christ, would be incarnate in flesh through a nation. And there's Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. And who is he holding? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will come from that line. Now Moses, the great deliverer, the Lord had told Abraham that they were going to be slaves for 400 years. Well, that's when Moses was on the scene. And Moses was a human savior that God used, a deliverer, a redeemer, who liberated any Egyptian slave who wanted to follow the God of Israel. After those 10 plagues of the Egyptian gods, they were each a play on the gods of Egypt. If the slaves marked their doorposts with the blood of the lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb, they were allowed to exit Egypt at Pharaoh's order. By that 10th plague, Pharaoh said, go, 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 get out of here. And everyone vamoosed. And there were more than just Israelites that got out of there. There were slaves from every nation under the sun. Thousands exited Egypt with Moses. 
And the Bible has a strange courtship system when they show us how God wooed this people out into the desert where he could speak tenderly to them. God would marry Israel out in the wilderness, get her away from the city. Hosea says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. So God is going to sweep Israel off her feet with pickup lines like this, using Moses as a mouthpiece. This is how God gets romantic with Israel. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's God speaking tenderly into the ear of Israel. I brought you unto myself. You will be my very own. That's God's love language. That's a proposal. That's a marriage proposal, and Israel accepted. So Moses called and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words of which the Lord commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They accepted the marriage proposal. All that the Lord has said we will do. Israel accepted God's proposal before they even heard the law. They hadn't heard the Ten Commandments yet. They hadn't heard the Torah yet. And they said yes. Mm. Moses reported the words of the people back to the Lord. And the Lord said, lo, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you. And may also believe you forever, Moses. And so God's first wedding proposal, Israel has accepted, and God comes down. The husband comes down, and it's fire and brimstone and thunder, and it, it, the, it, the whole earth is quaking. And it is so scary when God comes down, and the people are trembling. And the Jewish scholars write that God's voice split into 70 so that all the nations could hear the proposal. God's thunder and lightning was cracking, and it was God's voice, and everyone could hear it. And all the escapees are standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. And according to a Jewish midrash, the oral traditions that are, that are later written down, the oral traditions of the Jewish faith, God initially offered the Torah to each of the 70 nations who would not accept it without first asking what it was all about. After hearing the commandments, some of the nations said, no thanks, they didn't accept it. But God finally turned to the nation of Israel who said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Israel was the nation that accepted the marriage proposal. Unlike the other nations, Israel chose the Torah before knowing its contents. Way back in Exodus 19.8, they say, all that the Lord has said, we will do. We don't even need to hear it. They were so scared the people were trembling with fear when they heard this loud voice of God. Moses had them assembled. They were washed clean. They were blemish-free for three days. And on the morning of the third day, thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a trumpet blast so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. 
And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain, and Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And that, my friends, was the first Shavuot. That was the first Pentecost, the first giving of the law. Now, the Midrash records that Moshe, Moses, one drawn from water, Moshe, debated with the angels whether or not man was worthy of receiving the great gift of the Torah. The angel said, man's not worthy, Lord, of you to give them the Torah. The Torah is the uncreated light. God took light created on the first day by God himself and hid it in the Torah. <laughs> and the, Moses and the angels were debating. And Moses said, we are, Lord, we are. Give us the Torah. Give us the Torah. Moses won the argument on behalf of humans against the angels. It was judged that God would give Torah to Moses Torah was not given to a specific tribe of Israel because it was supposed to be for all people who believed and follow it. That Torah in your Bible, the first five books, is not ours. That's Hebrew scripture. But it was always meant for the entire world. The Hebrews were to be a light to the world because they are God's bride his chosen one, his firstborn son. Sometimes there's that analogy. So the divine speech, the divine fire, the first Shavuot, the giving of the law, the marriage proposal, and even before they heard the law, Israel consented to it. God had chosen his bride, and it was Israel. So through this nation, God's son will enter the world, the fruit of the marriage. The wedding gift that God gave the chosen people his gift to them for their happiness, for their beatitude, was the law, the Ten Commandments. Those are for our happiness and the Torah, the secrets of life. Uh, the people got too scared and they didn't want to talk to God anymore. And they said, Moses, Moses, you just do it for us. We're too afraid. You talk to God for us. And the people thought it would be much better if Moses would be the intercessor so God, in his mercy and his grace, tells Moses that I'm going to send a prophet, he tells Moses, an Israelite like you, and I'm going to put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. Who will that prophet be? The new Moses, Jesus, right? Jesus is the Deuteronomy 18, 18 prophet promise, the new Moses. So the evangelist John identified, really identified Jesus as the new Moses. So the first marriage to Israel on Mount Sinai, it's the first Shavuot for Israel. The final marriage is for all humanity on Mount Zion, another mount, Mount Zion, the first Pentecost for Catholics. Right on top, that upper room is on top and underneath the upper room is the tomb of King David, and it's called Mount Zion. A lot has happened in this upper room right above David's tomb. For instance, this is where Jesus had the Last Supper. 
This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. He's standing directly above David. Uh, after he came back through locked doors, resurrected body, he goes back into that upper room, shows them his wounds. They're standing directly above King David. Fifty days, Pentecost, Jewish Shavuot, and 120 were gathered in that same upper room 50 days later when the Holy Spirit came down right above the tomb of King David. And it's, again, you guys, that's a divine speech of God. The fire, what was happening in the room? Wind was blowing and it was shaking and they were scared, right? And the divine speech of God in that fire came. There were 120 gathered. What does Acts 2 tell us? There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. All 70 nations were there. The room is shaking. The divine fire of God is coming down again. At the sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing speaking in his own language. A new wedding proposal. <laughs> divine speech, just like in Exodus 19.20, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place, in the upper room. Suddenly came from heaven a rush like a mighty wind, and the house was filled where they were sitting. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It's Shavuot. It's like the first Shavuot. It's the final Shavuot, and we now call it Pentecost. There appeared to them tongues of fire distributed and resting upon each one. That divine fire, like in Exodus 19, the divine speech of God settling on each individual and collectively as the community of all present. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit is always the Spirit of unity. That's why we prayed him here today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. He's the spirit of unity. The evil spirit is Diablo. You know what that means? Division. He's not welcome here. This Holy Spirit was a sheer outpouring, a sheer gift of God. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? If you knew the gift, if you knew the gift that God wanted to give you, he's proposing to her in a spiritual way. He wants to give her the Holy Spirit, which will be poured out on Shavuot after his death, resurrection, and ascension back to the Father. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. This was the new wedding gift. It's for all people. You got it when you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You got it again on your confirmation. You can have it any time you want it. Say, Holy Spirit, be stirred up in me. I say it every morning. The Spirit is in us, he indwells us. This never happened in the Old Testament. The Spirit came on David, but the Spirit didn't indwell him. God, wait a minute, how can God have a second marriage, a second wife, because he's already married. He was already in an everlasting covenant with Israel. How did he get out of that? God dies. He's so brilliant. He had this plan from before the beginning of time. God dies in the second person, releasing him from that marriage. That's what we learned in Romans chapter 7. The new bride is anyone who believes his word. All that the Lord has said, we will do. Can you say it? All that the Lord has said, we will do. Do you think that convinced him? 
It's a hard thing to say, but what the Lord has said is right there in your Bible. And you're here learning about your Bible because you want to do all that the Lord said. If you don't know what he said, then I guess we don't have to do it. That's why no one else is here. They don't want to know what he said because then they have to do it. You want to know what he said so you can do it because he's your bridegroom. The first marriage on Sinai, the second marriage also on a mount, Mount Zion, at the feet of God, and at the feet of God, Mary standing at the feet of Jesus, the first wedding gift, the Torah, the law, the second wedding gift, a sheer gift, the Holy Spirit for all people, for all nations, for all tongues, for all tribes, for all people of all time. And who is standing there at the foot of the cross? Mary. Mary is the mother of the groom, which makes her our mother-in-law. I'm kidding. My mother-in-law is sitting right over there, and I love her. Um, But I don't think of Mary as my mother-in-law. I'm saying this because I'm thinking mother-in-law with Naomi and Ruth. What a mother-in-law Naomi was to Ruth. What a mother-in-law I have been blessed with. But Mary's much more than our mother-in-law. Because Mary's the new Eve. And the word Eve means mother of all the living. So Mary's our mother. She's also our mother-in-law, but she's our mother. She's the mother of all the living. And she's the hedge pin, the hinge pin between these two covenants. Of the, uh, and, and her other title, Ark of the Covenant, because she's con- her contents of her, she is the new Ark of the new covenant. And all the contents of the old Ark are in her when she's pregnant with Jesus. Mary is the mother of the groom, Jesus. Mary is the mother of the bride, the church. So she is our mother that way too, because we're the church. We're the body, he's the head, she's our mother. Each of us individually, she's our mother, and communally, she's our mother, our spiritual mother. Now, Naomi was an Israelite, and she takes in a Moabite girl named Ruth and becomes her mother-in-law. And it will be such a close relationship. Ruth will be closer to her than she was to her own mother. And she will be a true friend until death do them part. So it is certainly not like the stereotypical worldly depiction of mother-in-laws. You know all the mother-in-law jokes, right? It's not like that for Ruth and Naomi. Both women are of great, great virtue, and they're called Proverbs 31 women by multiple commentators. Ruth was an outcast as a Moabite. She will lie at the feet of a sleeping savior, Boaz. He's typology for Jesus. He's a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. He'll be a typology for Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene, also an outcast sinner, lies at the feet of Jesus, her sleeping savior on the cross. And she has a kinsman redeemer named Jesus. And when he appears to her, he says, it's my father and your father. They're kinsmen. He's going to redeem her. (laughs) He has redeemed her. Naomi is encouraged by Ruth to be redeemed by this kinsman redeemer named Boaz, just as our Mary mother encourages each of us to be redeemed by our kinsman redeemer, Jesus. We're going to have a lot of typology in Ruth. Ruth will rightfully bear a son, And Ruth will have Obed, Obed will have Jesse, and Jesse will have David, which makes Ruth part of the family tree of Jesus Christ. 
a Moabite in the family line of Jesus Christ. All things are redeemable. All things. This year we're going to study David, her great-grandson. He was born around the year 1000 B.C. He was the eighth son and the youngest son of Jesse from the tribe of Judah. King Saul was first, King David was second, King Solomon was third. Each of those reigned for 40 years, 40 years, and 40 years. 40 is a big number in the Bible, exactly 40 years. Each of them reigned one biblical generation. David's reign was one of the highest and the most prosperous periods in all of Israel's history, called by many the Golden Age of Israel. David was born on what day? Shavuot. He's born on the Feast of Shavuot. Guess when he died? Exactly 70 years later on what feast day? The Feast of Shavuot. Is that coincidence? He's born on Shavuot and he dies on Shavuot. 70 years, rules for 40. Torah is going to have a special emphasis on Exodus 19 and 20 on the giving of the law. They read that on Shavuot and they read, the Jews read the book of Ruth on Shavuot. Now, Torah, when we talk about Torah, we're talking about five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. David loved the Torah. He loved the Torah. There's a Jewish midrash that tells how King David started the custom of learning Torah late into the night. He would sing praises to God until midnight with his harp and his lyre, and then at the chiming of a, of a string of the harp above his bed, David would gain the strength of a lion and immerse himself in Torah studying until dawn. He loved Torah. This may be the true origin of keeping a vigil with the Torah until the early hours on the Feast of Shavuot. Many Jews to this day on the Feast of Shavuot stay up the night before reading Torah the whole night, studying Torah. David started that. It's his birth date and his death date. It is written of David that King David only dozed like a horse until midnight, but from midnight onward he arose and studied Torah. David not only studied Torah, but he also saw to it that others were studying Torah. The Jerusalem Talmud records that David used to play the harp and the lute so that others would hear Torah. And then they would say, if King David is studying Torah, then we should study Torah all the more. So he was a great example to his people. And using the harp and putting it to song also gained attention and was a witness. David used to assemble communities on the Sabbath and set up a podium, and there he would teach Israel the secrets of the Torah and correct Israel in their errors and reveal secrets, hidden secrets to them, to the point that he drew their hearts near to Torah study. I love that you guys are here studying God's word. David would be happy. David is happy. David's piety was said to be so great that his prayers could bring down things from heaven. He's a powerful intercessor. Ruth is one of only five women named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we'll go over them next week. The book of Ruth then. In the days of the judges, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab with his wife and his two sons. So the famine is so bad in Bethlehem that they must leave or they will starve. 
His name is Amela, uh, I gotta get this right, Elimelech, Elimelech. My God is king. He's from tribe Ephraim. He's a native of Bethlehem, Judah. He's a man of wealth and probably the head of a family or clan. Now, an Ephraimite, what is that? That's not one of the 12 tribes, but remember, it's Joseph's son, Ephraim. We learned about him in Genesis 41. Joseph, who stayed in Egypt, had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim was the youngest son. And what happened when Joseph took them to Jacob, to Israel, for their final blessing before his death, he switched his hands. He gave the right hand, the blessing hand, to the younger boy, Ephraim. This family are Ephraimites. So they get a tribe. Joseph doesn't go. Um, he stays in Egypt. The Levites don't get land because they're the priestly tribe. So Ephraim and his brother will share um, land in the promised land. This is at the time of the judges. And you might, or I don't know how much you guys know about the period of the judges, but um, there were 12 judges in Israel. There's their names. I won't read through them. Samson's one. That's a famous one. Um, but what happened in the time of the judges, there was always a cycle of sin. Israel had no king because why? God was their king. God was their husband. But what would happen is Israel, number one, would do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then God would punish Israel and they'd be enslaved, and then Israel would cry out, cry out to the Lord, oh, please, God, and then God would raise up a judge, and then the judge would deliver Israel back to the Lord, and then there'd be peace in the land for a while until the people would fall again, and it just kept going over and over and over like that for 12 judges. The first book of Samuel mentions Eli and Samuel. We'll be studying that as well as Joel and Abiah, two sons of Samuel. But here's the thing about the period of the judges, and it's very similar to the world we live in today. In those days, there was no king in all Israel, and all the people did what was right in their own eyes. What do we call that today? Moral relativism, exactly. Okay, 1 Samuel 8, the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. And they said to him, you are old and your sons don't follow your ways. Appoint them for us a king to govern us like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel because he knew only God was king. Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people and all that they say. For they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. They've rejected me as king over them. And just as they have done to me from this day, I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me, serving other gods. So also they're doing this to you, Samuel. Now then listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of a king who shall rule over them. They didn't care. They wanted a king. They all did what was right in their own eyes. So this is the period where this story is happening. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a certain man in Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife. Great, great famine. Nothing to eat. They must leave. They're wealthy enough that they can leave. Most people had to stay there and starve. They're wealthy enough that they can get out of there. Uh, there's also a famine of the land, but there's also a famine for hearing and obeying God's word. 
which is often the time of the judges. They're in one of those cycles of sin. Okay, and so Judah, tribe Judah, must go to Moab or die. And this is the setting of Ruth. The man Elimelech, his wife Naomi, their two sons, Milan and Chilion, they're Ephraites from Bethlehem and Judah. God is their king, the God of Israel. Oops. Okay, Naomi's name means pleasantness, my joy, my bliss. Milan, their son, there's only one Milan in the entire Bible, and his name means this, to be weak, sick, or wounded. His name literally means sickness. Would you like to name your newborn baby sickness? There's a lot of little COVIDs being born right now. Uh, Chilion, on the other hand, the name Chilion means not very cheerful. Annihilation, wasting away or coming to an end. So their two children, those are their names. They go to the country of Moab, where no Israelite would ever want to go, ever. Remember the history? They remain there. They're there in Moab by the Dead Sea. It would have been 50 miles of walking, steep terrain, seven to 10 days on foot in a time of famine. Here's what it looks like today if you were to walk it on foot. And Elimelech, my God is king, is married to Naomi, pleasantness of God. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. And she was left with her other two sons. Now she's in a foreign land and she's a widow with orphan boys in a time of famine. She's left alone with her two sons in a foreign country, an enemy territory, a widow in a foreign land with sons. And what did her son say to her? (laughs) What's for dinner, mom? I'm just kidding. Um, That's what my boys would say. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. She's left alone. The two boys took Moabite wives. One was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. Okay, Orpah. Orpah, not Oprah, okay, just so you know. Now, how did Naomi feel when her two sons married Moabite women? What do you think? Do you remember when Jacob deceived old blind Isaac, his father, because he wanted that right hand blessing? He put the fur on his arms, and he had to run because when his brother Esau, the Edomite, found out, he was ready to throttle him and kill him. And his mother had helped that happen. So Esau wanted to get back at his mother, and what did he do in retribution? He marries a Hittite woman a Canaanite woman, not an Israelite. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of this Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like this, one, one, another Hittite woman of the land, what good will my life even be to me? That's pretty strong sentiment, to marry outside, to marry a Moabite woman. Now, Naomi is watching her boys fall in love with Moabite women, which happens when you live there. They lived there for 10 years. So they're they're right at that age. And so what can she do as a widow in a foreign land with two Moabite daughter-in-laws now, no husband, famine back home? She stays there for a decade of her life, 10 full years. 
And when they had lived there about 10 years, ah, welcome to bad, worse is one mile. Things go from bad to worse. Both sons, Milan and Chilion, remember? Weakness and what was the other one? Um, yeah, they both die. So that the woman, Naomi, is left now with no sons, no husband, and she's left with two Moabite daughter-in-laws in a foreign land. No husband, no sons, two foreign daughter-in-laws. Not exactly how she thought her life would go. Now, have you guys ever thought that of yourself? Like, this was not exactly how I thought my life would go. I, I, yeah, I see a lot of heads nodding. This is not how I thought my life would go. It's not like the little white little picket fence that they tell you, you know, it's not like that. So um, the situation has gone from bad to worse for Naomi. She's buried through the three most important men in her life. And now we have three grief-stricken widows all clinging to one another and no one to provide for them. And Naomi started to return with her daughter-in-laws um, from the country of Moab, for she had heard while she was there in the country of Moab after year 10, she had heard that the Lord had considered his people and given them food again back home. So the famine has ended and they could actually head back. Remember, she's from Bethlehem. The Lord considered his people. Sometimes the Bible says the Lord visited his people again. He aided or assisted them. So she sets out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on their way back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, go back each of you to your own mother's house. You do not have to come with me. You do not have to go. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. She's not gonna force them to stay. And the Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husbands. She kissed them, and they all wept aloud. This is a very tearful, sorrowful goodbye. Because love always has to have freedom. People have to have the freedom. Should I stay or should I go? You have to allow them to go. We know that as parents. Love must always have freedom. So she gives them the freedom to stay. You girls stay, you stay. Your life is here, your families are here. This is your land, stay. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they might become your husbands? She's saying, no, 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 I'm old. I'm never gonna give you another husband. No, you guys stay. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old for you to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were gone? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. The hand of the Lord has turned against me. Have you ever felt that way? Naomi felt what her great-grandson would write years later in the Psalms. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? When I look beside me, I see there's no one to help me, no one to protect me, no one who cares for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? 
from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry all day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Don't be deceived. (laughs) Because even in those darkest times, he's there. Hebrews 13 tells us, I will never fail you or forsake you. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Mother Teresa, in her dark night, felt so abandoned by the Lord, yet she knew he was there more than ever. No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Naomi was faithful. (laughs) They wept again together out loud. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah's ready to bolt. She's going to take the freedom to leave. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, back to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go, Ruth, go, go, go. But Ruth said, no, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. My people, your people will be my people. And your God, Naomi, will be my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well if even death parts me from you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Do you see her conversion? I want what you have, Naomi. I'm going with you. I see your God alive in you, even in your grief, even in your pain, even in your crosses. You turn to your God. Your God is real. I want to go with you. I want to die with you. I want to see your people. I want to be in communion with Israel. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, She said no more to her. What is it about Naomi? The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem is called the house of bread, literally. Remember Bethlehem from Micah 5. You, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, you are one of the little clans of Judah. But from you shall come forth from me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. Remember, this is where they're from. Elimelech, they're Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. And this is where the great one, the Messiah, is to come from. House of bread. Hmm. Fifty days after the final Passover on Shavuot, the first fruits of the wheat harvest are offered. Barley comes first, 50 days later comes wheat. Wheat is by far superior, the greatest grain in all the land of Israel. She laid him in a manger outside of Bethlehem, a feeding trough where they would put wheat for animals. Jesus is laid in the trough. John 12 says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, 
and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The two of them went on till they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The whole town is in an uproar. Why? Naomi's back. Naomi's back. Naomi's back. Naomi's back. Pleasantness of God. Joy of God. But who's with her? A Moabite. Oh, Naomi. It created quite a buzz. Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? The women at the well, have you heard? Have you heard? With the one? Is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? And she said to them, call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. So she's changing her name from pleasantness, joy of God, to Mara, which means bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, would you rather stand before the Lord full or empty? The Lord wants us empty. It's in our poverty that he can fill us. Whatever your poverty is, and everybody has a different poverty. You know the poverty in your life. It's what you can't change, what you can't have, what you can't do, what you can't... He wants to drain us of ourselves so we can be filled by him. And that's right the point Naomi is at. She has to make a choice. Is she still going to be pleasant or is she going to get bitter and hate God and all he's taken from her and all he's done to her and how he messed up her life? Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She's feeling like Job right now. He took my husband, he took my first son, he took my second son. He gave me two Moabite daughter-in-laws. One stayed, one came. Second guessing, should we even have left? Should we just have stayed here? Some of the people that stayed there stuck it out and they made it through the famine. Should we just have stayed? Why did we ever go to Moab? She's gone from pleasant to bitter. No longer call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. Just call me bitter, bitter. Remember the waters at Mara? When Moses was leading the people out and they drank that bitter water? Remember that? They came to Mara in Exodus 15. They couldn't drink the water of Mara because it was so bitter. That's why it was called Mara. Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water. And what happened? The Lord made the water sweet. God made the bitter water sweet. The wood of the cross will sweeten the bitter acts of life when united to the cross. Jesus can make bitter water sweet. Naomi no once, <laughs> once says, I'm bitterness now. I'm bitterness. I'm almost done. I want to ask you guys, who scores higher on bitterness surveys? Who gets more bitter, men or women? Here's a bitter man. He's pretty bitter. Here's a bitter woman. Who thinks about bitter memories more? Over and over and over and over and over again. I could not find many pictures of bitter men, but I found a lot of pictures of bitter women. Yeah, yeah, they start young, I know. 
bitterness. It is not a good virtue, it's not a virtue, but it's not a good habit. And I'll give you five habits of bitter people. This is secular psychology. Being jaded, being jealous, it's a capital sin, holding a grudge, can't forgive, can't get over it, acting in attention-seeking ways, look at me, look at me, look at me, focusing only on the negative, a very critical spirit. That's what bitterness does to us. But Jesus came to make bitter water sweet and fresh again. Stagnant, dead water. He says, I am the water of life. There's a stream gushing from his heart. A stream of living, fresh water that he wanted to give to another foreign woman. A Samaritan woman. A gift. His Holy Spirit. Ezekiel said of this new temple that water flows toward the eastern region to the Arabah. When it enters the stagnant water of the sea, it becomes fresh. Jesus Christ was Ezekiel's new temple, the third temple. He called himself a temple. Destroy this temple, I'll raise it in three days. The temple he spoke of was his body, the one Ezekiel predicted. And when it was speared, water gushed out the side and took all our sins and made them fresh. Took all our stagnancies and made them fresh. Look on the one they have pierced. I saw water coming out the threshold of the temple to the east, the direction sinners always went in the Bible, to heal us, making the bitter water fresh. The wood of the cross can make bitter water sweet. So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We're going from barley to wheat, and we'll see the rest of the story next week. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. For more information, please go to seekingtruth.net.